My name's Lachlan Townend and you're listening to The Known Podcast. This is where you've always belong, in my own heart. So Lockie, welcome to The Known Podcast this, this afternoon. We're doing it this afternoon today. Um, tell me a little bit about, um, about how, you, how you came to be involved in actually doing this podcast. Well, give me a bit of background story before we dive into more about you. How did it? How did this come to your this idea come to your mind? Yeah, so I um, had this idea. Um, oh, what was it at the start of the year? It would have been. Um, and I said to Quinton, "We really need to do a podcast where we can create a bit of community and get to know people within our church, um, so that we can, yeah." As you, as you get to know people, you feel a stronger sense of community um, mm-hmm. and a stronger sense of love um, in that community. And so I thought it would be a good idea. And I contacted Quinton and he said, you know what? Zine's already come <laughs> up with this idea. Um, why don't you speak to him? And so there, there we are. We came up with it completely separate. I hadn't spoken to you about it. And when I went to Quinton, he said, there's someone else that also has this idea. So that's with- how it came to be. Was there something else? What were the thoughts leading up to it in your mind as you were formulating uh, this idea in your own mind? What were some of the things that you saw happening around you, or uh, people had mentioned to you, whatever that started that process sort of gelling in your mind? That's a great question. Um, I think one of the things is just my desire for church to be a more authentic place, mm-hmm. um, authentic community. Um, and to do that, sometimes we need to, I, I've said before, you know, in the Garden of Eden where they sew the fig leaves mm. because they're na- they, they see their nakedness. Yep. Um, I think in many times we sort of cover up or sew fig leaves in religion and yeah, just we're not our we're not always as a community our true authentic self when we come to church, and it can be it can be very challenging to create that environment um, in a church environment. Um, but yeah, I think it was just the the desire for to create an authentic community in our church. Do you think that is um, reflective of our general? Uh, communities that we live in, and when we th- when we think about um, uh, relationships that we have just with others outside of the church environment, uh, maybe still within the community, but outside of the immediate environment, and how that um, is different to the relationships and community we have, say, in our professional lives, and you know, how is it how is it different, or should they should there be any difference? Should they be similar, or should there are there times where it needs to be different? Yeah, I think there are similarities between, you know, we we don't do church in a vacuum. We are like we're a product of our culture, and so our culture also struggles with inauthenticity. Mm. Um, I I think that church can sometimes, yeah, maybe amplify that um, because there's this need to. Um, yeah, I guess there's this ethical standard and this moral standard that you have to try to live up to um, or at least appear to be living up to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so possibly, and that comes with so many benefits and so many great things, um, but possibly it then can amplify 
the fact that we're all walking around and we're all broken people and we all need Jesus. Mm. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. but Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm just I, – I often wonder why we um, – your analogy of sewing the fig leaves together to hide things that we don't want people to see. I think that's a, that's a really interesting analogy. And I, and I wonder how much of that is as a, as a result of our um, the where our church was birthed out of, a very conservative, Bible-built, uh, uh, U.S. Um, time in history. Mm. And as a result of that and the way the church sort of uh, grew and morphed as it morphed, evolved into itself, that um, because of that conservative history, that came with the idea of having to be something, you know, and maybe there were certain identifiers then and, and we've sort of progressed through that and then, but we haven't yet transcended some of that and looked back critically enough to say, how have why haven't we changed as times have changed? That's probably the point I'm getting to. Mm. Why have we, why have we, in a lot of the times, remained in the birthplace sort of, yeah, uh, part of our religiosity instead of uh, evolving more into as we become, say, more enlightened. Mm. Um, why haven't we uh, moved with that in some ways? Yeah, well, I guess the church has gone through some, um, I guess, paradigm shifting moments. Um, throughout our particular church's history um, where the focus shifted from law and um, yeah, law-keeping and, and defence um, to more of a love-oriented um, uh, gospel focus, you might say, um, yeah, perspective. Um, and I don't know. I I, I, can't, I can't answer this question. <laughs> it's got me stumped. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> at least not adequately. Um, yeah, yeah, that's all right. I haven't I haven't reflected on that um, from from a yeah from that perspective. This may be something to 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 look at another time. Mm. Um, so let's let's delve into or dive into a little bit of the of the Lockie um, that I've known. For uh, for quite a while now, probably in reality, probably since oh, uh, just about forever, I suppose. <laughs> in some form or another, we've known one another. Um, so where did where does where did it all begin? Where did the Lachlan Town End story really begin? Where does that? Yeah, so I was born in Moolumbah Hospital. Yeah, um, I was born into a family of five. I'm yep. the youngest, so. It was a complete family once I came along. <laughs> Perfection was enough. <laughs> yeah, and then um, yeah, so I'm born into a, a I was born into a Seventh Adventist family, mm-hmm. um, fourth generation Adventist, but not just Adventist, but also um, ministers. Yeah. Um, so my great grandfather was a pastor. Yeah. Um, and each generation down. Minus me so far, <laughs> <laughs> to be continued maybe. <laughs> um, it was a was a pastor. Yeah, yeah. and and that's that's spread across, um, like uncles etc. Yeah. It's not just been a, a straight line. Yep. Um, through grandfather, father etc. Great grandfather. There's yep. there's a smattering of uh, pastors in your across your family, isn't there? Yeah. So my uncle um, 
Uncle Glenn. Yeah. Um, is the South Pacific Division president. Um, and his son, Travis, is a pastor who's around about my age. He's okay. a little, little younger than I am. Yep. Um, yep. And then Uncle Bill as well. So, yeah, there are quite – and I'm probably missing someone. <laughs> I think that's pretty much it. So, yeah, yep. as far as the not in the direct line that I'm in, um, yeah, is Uncle Glenn, Travis and Uncle Bill. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, sort of reflecting on that line, um, your dad was late to theology. I mean, he didn't come to that, he didn't come to theology as a, a young person. It was a real, it was a more of a middle-aged thing for him. Yeah. Um, and he had quite an interesting career path before coming to theology. Tell us a little bit about that because that speaks to some of the places that, um, that they the, the experiences that he's brought to his yeah. story. So tell us a little bit about you know, your dad and your mum and yeah. So uh, most of my life, dad has been on that pathway to into ministry. But um, prior, they lived in Forbes, um, and dad worked on horses. Um, I don't know the exact details, but for. For Kerry Packer in a a roundabout way, breaking in horses for polo, training them for polo, um, getting them ready for game day and things like that. Um, And then, but that was prior to me. So um, both my sisters, Deanna and Emma, were both born in Forbes. Right, yeah. um, On the Lachlan River, I believe. And that's why, that's where my name comes from. Right, yeah. Um, I hope that the Lachlan <laughs> River is in Forbes, but there is a connection somehow. Um, and and then they moved to um, Moolumbah and that's where I was born. And Dad at the time was doing real estate um, in Moolumbah. Uh And then, yeah, following that, I think that's when he begin he began his um, yeah his studies in ministry, and we moved to Kurumbong, yes, where, so- where he studied. Right, so now your dad, um, he actually went to high school here. He went to school here in Mwilambar. Yeah, so he went to um, what was then Tweed Valley College, which is now Tweed Valley Adventist College. Yeah. Um, And then in year 11 and 12, they went to Mwilambar High. Yeah, and that's where he met, he actually met your mum. Was that at the Adventist school prior to Mwilambar High or? Yes, yeah, yeah. And then, and dad also, um, he went to New Zealand and was going to study, well, he was studying vet science, Mm -hmm. Um, but he, yeah, he sort of, I think among other things, he missed mum and so he came, he didn't get through those (laughs) studies and he came home, Um, yeah. So mum is actually, she's a bit of a long time Mwilumba, her family's been in the the valley here for quite a a number of generations, I understand, is that? Yeah, yeah, so mum... Grew up on Pickabean Road. Yeah. Yeah. And so her dad um, passed away quite early. Um, I think she was around eight years old. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they had a banana farm mm-hmm. on Pickabean Road. Yeah. yeah. And then Nanawanda um, is a big personality. So <laughs> Absolutely. A lot, of, a lot of people knew who, who she was um, yep. and she was involved in church and um, particularly in by Church. Yeah. I think prior to that it would have been Bray Park. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and then uh, Nana Wanda, as you call her, she she remarried and she uh, fortunately married someone that really embraced your mum and uh, her siblings and brought them up really as his kids. 
Yeah, yeah. So um, Grandpa Bruce, um, both of them have passed away now. Um, There was, you know, there was some difficulties as there always is in a family in that sort of situation when you get a new dad. Um, And he was a a, um, pretty hard and stubborn um, man for many years but just recently... He'd really softened up, yeah, yeah, big time. So I, I don't know if they would all have that perspective, right? Okay. Um, when they were growing up, um, for instance, Uncle Gavin, he moved away, yeah, yeah, um, went down to the snow fields. Um, he's now at Hotham, and yeah. So I don't, I don't know if they would have all had that perspective, but he definitely softened in his old age, yeah, yeah. Um, especially with us kids coming along, um, and the grandkids, and. When I think particularly, uh, potentially anyway, when um, Uncle Carl had his um, kids, yeah. yeah, which is his actual his his son, yeah. <laughs> there goes <laughs> there goes Andrew Weeks <laughs> <laughs> looking for plovers eggs. <laughs> so um, coming back to where you sort of fit into the story, you've mentioned uh, you've got two older siblings, uh, Emma and Deanna. Yep. Um, now, what is what is the age difference between them and you? So there's four years between Emma and I and five years between Deanna and I. All right. So yeah. Emma and Deanna then are almost like twins. There's only a year. A, yeah. A, oh, yeah. I mean, I might have – I'm not good with numbers, so yeah. I might have butchered that a little bit, but it's around about that. Yeah. yeah. Very so they're, they're very close together. Yeah. Like definitely under two years. And so um, – how old were you when the fa- when uh, you went to when Dad went to Avond when went to Avondale to s- decided to do theology? How old were you then? So I went to they call it preschool or kindergarten yeah. in Avondale. Okay. Yeah. So I was quite young. I how old are you when you go to those things? <laughs> yeah, about five. five? Yeah, 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 four and a half. Yeah, maybe, I was five. around. Okay. I was around that age. Okay. Yep. And then from there, was it there you went straight to? Um, WA after graduation? Yeah. Yep. So dad got um, a call to a place, Albany, yeah. WA. Yeah. And so, yeah, we went to Albany, which was a big move for us, mm. obviously. It's a, it's a it's basically a different country over yeah. there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, big move. And that's right down the south coast, isn't it? Right on the bottom yeah. southwest tip of WA, yep. isn't it? Yeah. Yep. And how long did you guys spend over there then? Um. We spent, oh, it was about a year there um, before Dad got a call to Perth mm-hmm. um, and we spent yeah, five years there, roundabouts. Yeah. And then from there Perth. and then what happened after that? Well, that's how deep do you, how, how, <laughs> how long do you want this story to be? <laughs> <laughs> so you've, you've, you've lived in, in, in a- very practical terms. <laughs> We then came back to Moolumba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so then through a roundabout you, you came back to Moolumba and that's where you continued your education in Moolumba. Yeah. yeah. And um and what were the what are the sort of things how what was school life like for you? School life. Because we we often find we often find that you know sort of year 8 and 9 for boys is a really tumultuous time. Yeah. You know, so um, it's not unusual for, for 
for adult males to reflect on either positively or negatively on yeah. school around that time. Yeah. Um, but when you come back to that, you, when you've come back to Mwilambar, when you were sort of just before high school, I imagine it was just before high school, you've really sort of established, you had to re-establish yourself in Mwilambar and yep. Mwilambar Church. And, yep. and so what did that mean in terms of making friendships, etc.? It was a culture shock. It was like the difference between, at the time, the difference between kids in Perth in sort of a more city environment, although, I, I, I mean, we lived in the suburbs. We lived about half an hour, half an hour away from the CBD. But the culture here versus the culture there uh, were vastly different at the yeah. time. I remember coming in and um, Mullumbar is a very multicultural area in terms of uh, religions yeah. and, and and different, you know, the water people and Hare Krishnas and um, just a diverse group of people, um, which now I, I can reflect on and think, you know, that's quite quite awesome and, and a quite a healthy community. Yeah. But at the time, as a kid that, you know, just wants people like him, um, yeah. it was a, yeah, it was a pretty shock, bit of a shock to the system. Yeah. Now, one of your um, one of your best friends, um, uh, Cameron. Did you did you know Cameron before you you left Mwilambar? Did you really know him very well before you left Mwilambar? Yeah. So um, my family and his family, yeah, had had known each other. I think Dad was working in real estate with Greg, or at least alongside him. Yeah. They were family friends when I was born into the world. So yeah. Cameron would have seen me in hospital. Yeah. Like, so we're um, mates from diapers onwards. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we used to, like although we lived in different parts of the world, mm-hmm. um, we used to come back all the time. So yeah. whenever we got a chance we would come back over and every year we'd come over for Christmas and we would spend, you know, a month or so yeah. here and we would yeah, basically be inseparable. Yeah. During yeah. those times. So what was the difference in age then? Do you know the, the difference in age between the two of you? Yes. So that's a great question. So that um, wouldn't really be a significant – it's not a significant amount no, of time. No, I think it? it was – I see, again, numbers is just <laughs> – uh, when someone asks how old I am, I have to stop and think for at least half of the year. <laughs> so <laughs> this gives you an idea of me and numbers. Um, so, yeah, uh, Kem would be yeah, two – Two and a bit years older than me. Okay, I, right. I believe. I didn't think it was that much. I'm surprised that it was actually that much. Yeah. Um, okay. I, so, c- I could confirm that with you. Oh, that's okay. Um, right. But it's around about that. So um, you got you guys obviously then um, reaffirmed that relationship when you came back to Mwilamba and reestablished that relationship. Yeah. Um, well, it never. It, well, <laughs> like yeah, I. Although it was, he was one of those friends where when you come back, you just kick off where you left off. Yeah, exactly. There's no, there's no rebuilding. There's no reestablishing. It's, it's always there, and it's always consistent. Yeah. He was just one of those friends, a very low maintenance friend. We would still talk to each other throughout the year. Yeah. But we didn't have to talk that much. And when we got together again, we kicked it off where we started. It was one of those relationships. Um, yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting thing about re- that re- that type of relationship because everybody has probably someone in their life mm. or some people in their life that that sort of happens with, but that's what probably makes 
that relationship more special than any yeah. other because yeah. for some reason there's a connection yeah. and it's more than just the, oh, we know one another. There's something at a deeper level than that that enables you to do that. Yeah, for sure. So tell us a little bit more about your um, your relationship, your parallel relationship with Cameron um, and maybe even a little bit about the the story of, of Cameron and your relationship with him. Yeah. Yeah, so like I said, we used to come back every year. Um, obviously, uh, you know, we spent the years prior to us moving to Kurumbong together. But after that, we used to just come back every year um, for a good chunk of time. Mum and Dad would both use their whole annual leave mm-hmm. for a Christmas, the Christmas period and would hang out. We'd do, you know, normal kid things. Yep. Um, we'd, we'd both sport fanatic, uh, fanatical so we would just we'd spend hours and hours and hours playing cricket or basketball mm. or whatever it was, um, rolling tires down big hills <laughs> at Grandpa Bruce's or Nenamondas, and that wasn't wise because there was a road. At, there was a main <laughs> Talgum Road is at the bottom of their their yeah. house, their place, their property, and yeah. So we soon, <laughs> when the cars came past, just after the tire had. Fast. <laughs> we thought this wasn't wise. Um, we used, you know, drive bush bashes, um, chase bulls. Yeah, yeah, just normal kid things. We're very, very different to, like, I'm not, you know, that much older than this generation. But the vast contrast between this generation of kids growing up and me, yeah, seems, in my mind anyway, just heightened because I was just such an outdoor kid yeah. i loved playing sport um and running oh, you wouldn't see me on a computer or even like lego and things like that just wasn't my thing i was always outside so yeah to see yeah the the i guess there's just a generation difference i feel old already <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I suppose some of that outdoorsy stuff the way that you grew up is obviously passed down from the fact that you're um your mum and dad are both really outdoorsy yeah. people. Um, farm, yeah. uh, uh, you know, nature, horses with your dad, etc. Yeah, for sure. So that's probably yeah. a, a part of that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but tell us a little bit more about Cameron. I mean, you guys, you you were uh, thick as thieves, as I remember when you were when you were young. Mm. Uh, you, you told us a little bit about that. Mm. But um, the Cameron's story is a really heart wrenching story. Yeah. Um, it's probably not easy for both of us to talk about it. Mm. Um, but I know uh, because the, there's a bit of a history with my family, extent family yeah, yeah. And, and Cameron's family as well, being yeah. that my wife is part of Cameron's family. Um, but tell us a little bit about that that time in your life, in, in your early teens, yep. what was happening there with... Yeah, so backtracking a little bit, when, when we're in Perth... Um, we one morning, I think it was morning. No, it might have been the evening. Anyway, my mum and dad sort of called a family meeting, yep. which doesn't happen in our <laughs> household. That that's like when there's something like that happening, it's like okay, what is going on? And yep. lately, it's been good news. It's been you know yep. someone saying, "Oh, I'm pregnant," and yep. you know having a celebration. But when when that wasn't a what I'm saying is that wasn't a regular thing. And and as a as a kid. Um, you sort of, I sort of felt that something was wrong before they opened their mouths because yeah. you could tell just in the way their body language, um, 
that something was wrong. Um, and they broke the news to us that um, Cam had been diagnosed with leukemia, which yep. at the time as a kid, I don't know what that means. Um, I, I've had a pretty chill life up until that point. Um, no real experience with those sorts of diseases or yeah. anyone pass away in my family. Um, oh, I mean, there has there was, but um, very little of that. You just don't sort of you don't comprehend what that means yeah. um, when someone says that they you know they've been diagnosed with leukemia. And thankfully, you know, years down the track, being diagnosed with leukemia, you have uh, you know a, a greater degree of chance of survival yeah. now than you did back then. Um, and yeah, so it was, yeah, it was very hard news, um, for the family to take. Um, but like I said, you're sort of, you're sort of not sure what that means other than the fact that you can see that your parents are upset, so it must be serious. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, fast track a little bit, we were called, dad was called back over to Moomba. Yeah. Which, um, was probably the hardest move that we had to make as a family. Deanna was in a long-term long relationship yeah. with her now husband who comes to this church, Rob. Yeah. Um, and she was just about to go into year 12. Uh, and so it was, it was really, really bad timing, particularly for Deanna. Um, but for all of us, like that, that's a big – those years in WA – are a big part of your, I feel like, the formative years of your life in terms of, you know, the culture mm. and the surroundings. I played, you know, footy, um, AFL yeah. um, in WA and the culture, obviously the difference between back then anyway when you came over here, no one played AFL. That's right. No yeah. one liked it. It was soft, <laughs> you know, all of those things. So there was a, there was a, that was a really, really hard move at the time um, but looking back on it, it was obviously the right the right thing to do because we could be here for Cam and his family. Um, and so we got to spend the last couple of years um, with Cam before he passed away. So ha- um, how old was Cam when he when he passed away? Uh, he was just short of his fifteenth birthday. Okay, and yeah. he now would be he now would have been. Uh, how long has that been now then? How long? It's been, so that was in 2006. Okay. So how's that for my dates? <laughs> <laughs> that was 2006. So, yeah, do the maths on that. So that's 16 years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not good at maths. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take, so your, I'll take your word okay. for it. Yeah, 16 years. I'm not so bad at maths. <laughs> um, so what, was, what, if, what effect did that journeying through Cameron's um, time through treatment and seeing how that affected him, Mm. um, what did you notice that changed in Cameron? Yeah, so Cam just had to grow up really, really fast. Um, You know, you you dealt with cards that are unfair and so you question things or you have to grapple with things that a normal teenager would not have to grapple with mm. like why why is this suffering happening especially for a family of faith um you know why is why is god allowing this oh 
or you know how how can this happen and God still be good and loving? And so, I think Cam had to grapple with those things at a younger age than most people do. Um, but one of the key things, and I, I sometimes I cry, and then some like when I'm telling this story, and then other times I don't. And lately, you know, I've been more and more capable of speaking about it with mm. and holding it together, whereas early on that was not going to happen. Um, but yeah, Cam, Cam said to me, and now that I say that, I probably won't, um, <laughs> Cam said to, to me, you know, a couple, well, to our family and the Welshers were all around. Yep. We knew that, you know, it was only a short time. He was deteriorating quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cam said, you know, I'm not afraid to die because I know that the next thing that I'll see, um, will be Jesus's face. Mm. Um, and he sort of clung to that and he he also, and this is from dad preparing. I know this not because I was there to witness it and at the time I, I did, but dad asked the question to Cam, you know, do you sometimes say, why me? Yeah. Um, and, you know, question God in relation to the suffering and what was going on in his life. You know, he knew that at this time I believe that death was, you know, Around the corner, mm. barring a miracle, and we're yeah. all we're all praying for a miracle. Um, but Cam said, basically, he said, "No, I don't question it." Um, and I'm sure that there was times when he did. Mm. Um, but at this stage, he was saying, "No, I, I don't question it. If it wasn't me, it would be someone else." Yeah. And I know that God doesn't intend this for my life, mm. and I know that this isn't God. That's basically this isn't God that's doing this. Um, and I know that, you know, he loves me and he wants what's best for me. And he just had that really, he just knew that. Um, and subsequently, you know, I grappled with that years down the track, looking back on this event, which, you know, we could speak about maybe. So, so what then, so we, we all witnessed Cameron's, um, passing away, Mm. which really, uh, had a, a fairly big effect on Mwilambar Church and on the school at the time. Yeah. Uh, obviously on um, his family as well. Um, but what was that? What impact did it have on you personally? I mean, you've you've seen over over a couple of years, you've seen your best friend by all accounts, mm. the the kid you've grown up with. Yeah. Um, pass away at an influential character and personality building time in your life as yeah. well. And what were the what? How did that affect you? What were the what journey did that take you on over the next couple of years? Say yeah. So I was, I guess I was just angry. Yeah. <laughs> I was ang- as angry at God um, because yeah, I just I just didn't understand what was going on, um, and sorry, my phone was ringing. <laughs> um, I just wanted to stop it. Um, yeah, I was angry at God for the whole situation and I was sort of grappling with the question of, I guess, if God is good, why is there evil in, and suffering in the world? Mm. And I got, I got a, a bit, um, I, I guess cynical could be the right word. You know, people would, people would get up the front. We'd prayed for Cam for years and years and years and people would get up in front of church and they would say, you know, oh, I, you know, I, I have a story to tell and I prayed for my keys and I found my keys mm. and 
<laughs> I would just be like, no one cares about your keys. <laughs> You're right. Like, and yep. so, and and I got, I just got cynical about um, church um, and about yeah, Christianity in general. Although I always sort of stuck around, um, but I was grappling and wrestling with these these ideas. And people would say to me, um, and these are pet things that I just don't say to anyone <laughs> because I've learned from this. Is people would say, you know, it's all in God's plan, mm. um, and they used to frustrate me no end i yeah. yeah i it to me that just it just did not add up in my mind that someone so young life would be taken away and it would be all in god's plan yeah. it just i just wrestled with those sorts of questions um and the question of you know if if god is good why is there why is there suffering in the world and ultimately i've come to at least an answer that's, you know, um, satisfactory for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably a sermon. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but in general, it's that God is love um, and he gives freedom. And, you know, we don't always, we don't understand the whole situation. Um, mm-hmm. But God... I guess he does. He's he's he lacks some control because of the fact that he's love and that he mm-hmm. gives us freedom. Um, and yeah, the ultimate is that you know God is love, and um, he wants what's best for us. Yeah, I guess that's it. And there's a probably a bigger, larger sermon, and some of you might have already heard me speak it. So, <laughs> so when. Uh, from then on, we we're looking at. Um, you said that sport and being outdoors was a really big thing for you. You mentioned cricket and AFL, but the real um, love of your life was basketball, yeah. Yeah, so I guess that, and that was, you know, Cam died, and the day after, Mum was like, "Oh, do you want to play basketball?" And I was, I wanted to because I just needed the escape. Like I didn't think about anything else when I played basketball. I could let my mind go. Yeah. Um, and I was just so focused on the game. Um, and so that became, over the years, that became a little bit of a, an escapism, I guess. Yeah. And everyone has their own thing. And it sounds, you know, it sounds kind of silly thinking about it. But it was just my white, you know, some people will do drugs or some people just work and work and mm, work and work. Yeah. And yeah. other people, you know, we all have these ways of escaping the reality and Having to having to wrestle with the the thoughts in our mind, um, and that was my version of it. <laughs> so now, in my recollection, um, you played basketball a lot in your teens. Yeah. Um, and before we started today, we, we reflected at different times where our, our paths crossed, and you know, I saw you at different venues playing. Uh, but tell me a little bit about your uh, playing history and where it took you. Where did where did basketball take you as a as a teenager? Not as far as I wanted at the time. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so I, I started playing. I mean, prior to that, to be honest, AFL was my, my game. And I look back and I go, mm, I was probably, I probably had some natural giftings in that area, especially around height, yeah. uh, <laughs> that I probably could have stuck with it. But moving here, 
Um, no one played AFL. So, mm. And I played basketball in Perth as well, but um, basketball became my sport yeah. um, when I was here. And so I, yeah, I went, I played um, at a representative level for the Gold Coast. Um, I was at the time, Gold Coast Waves, um, under 18. Yeah. Um, and I was a late starter. You know, most kids in that squad would, would have played since they were very young in a represent mm. at a representative level. So for me to break into that was was pretty cool. Um, and I was a starter. I was a starting point guard on that team. Um, and yeah, I got. I mean, we didn't have a great year. Um, we, I think we, fifth. We we got at state champs. We came fifth. So I mean, it was it was a good year. I think yeah. we probably overperformed. Potentially considering the squad that we had, but um, from there I also got selected to trial for the Queensland team. Yeah. Um, and you know you'd go to trials every Sunday and you would play, and eventually they would whittle down the team mm-hmm. bit by bit. So you'd start. There would be two people from two or th- three people from each representative team that would get nominated to go to this, and then eventually they would cut down until. Oh, until they got the squad, which was 10 plus five reserves yeah. or, or something like that. And so I, I got through most of the, well, a lot of the cuts and it was sort of down to the, the 30 or so that was when I got cut. Yeah. Um, and we got feedback on, you know, what we can do to improve and things like that. And one of the things that really irritated me was my height. The yeah. fact that I was short was one of their literal things of of weaknesses and you know you can't grow yeah so you can there's things that you control and there's things that you can't control and i actually used to get really um angry at mum <laughs> <laughs> yes because well, yeah. mum's short yeah. and so i was like mum if it wasn't for you <laughs> <laughs> but I, I suppose that that height thing is also relative i mean we're talking in in the basketball sphere i mean because you're far from a short person yeah well um, i'm i'm five Nine, maybe five, yeah. ten in shoes. So yeah. I'm, not, I'm, I'm probably, I think it's around average, average to be height, honest. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But in the basketball world, it's it's well below average. So we're talking, <laughs> we're talking here now at basketball. You're you're living at this stage. You're living at Talgum. Yeah. So we're, you're talking. You're not. It's not Mwilambar. We're talking. Yeah. Forty five, forty minutes out southwest of Mwilambar. Yeah. And yet you are. Playing, trialing, training on the Gold Coast. Yeah, yeah. So I, at the time, you know, I'm just absorbed in what I'm doing. But looking back, just the commitment that Mum and Dad made mm-hmm. um, in my life to take me to games is just, yeah, it's just phenomenal. Um, given, you know, and that was a a rough period of my life um, as well. Um, and just there, yeah. Mum would, you know, finish work. And this was before I had a license, um, my driver's license. She would then take me to training or games. And I'm talking like five, six days a week, mm. like this would happen. So, yeah, she wouldn't, we wouldn't get home until, because it's, you know, about an hour away, yeah, yeah. <laughs> training and those sorts of things. We wouldn't get home until really late at night and you know, up the next day going to work and then, doing that again <laughs> so it was a yeah, big time commitment and obviously mum and dad both shared 
those responsibilities. Um, and eventually, they, they, you know, once I'd made made it into the team and I sort of under, well, I sort of got to know people. I was then I used to go to Tweed and mm. I used to just go with mates up. Yeah. Um, and then come back and then at this stage I could drive so I'd just drive home after. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a big there was there was a gap there that was um, big commitment for mum and dad. So you said that um, that was you know five or six evenings a week. Well, that that talks straight into the leads straight into the very next question, and that is how did how did you fit that in around your belief system around your Sabbath mm. observance? How did you how did how talk us through the how the decision-making process that you had around that? Yeah, the short answer is that I didn't. <laughs> um, so I guess, yeah, I, I I can't really remember the struggle of like should I compete on Saturday mm-hmm. on Sabbath or not um, because I think that was short-lived. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, eventually, you know, I would... I would just, yeah, I would just play on Sabbath. Um, and mum and dad, I think in their wisdom at the time, just thought that that was the right thing for me to do. And dad's mm-hmm. a pastor yeah, uh, at yeah. Mullumbar Church. And, yeah. you know, you can, I, he would be better suited to explain his reasoning around that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, at the right, at that time, I think dad sort of realized that, you know, it's either, we be supportive and let him do this and let him make his own decisions. You know, he's. I'm starting to, you know, get to that point in life where you do make your own decisions. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, they would take me and drop me off and, you know, see you later. Because at, <laughs> um, at this stage we're sort of talking, you know, sort of 15, 16, 17-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Um, and probably a time where, well, if you're not going to take me, I'll find another way to get there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and so it forced forced religion is abhorrent to God, yeah. you know. And at that time, it would have been if for me not to compete on the Sabbath would have been a forced uh, forced religion. Yeah. And back to God is love, and He gives us freedom, and He gives us choice. It's not what He desires. Forced yeah. religion. So. Yeah. Yeah, they, in their wisdom, I believe in their wisdom and other people could make another judgment. Uh, I don't really, I I think that they knew their son really, really well and um, looking back on it, I think that was really wise of them to just allow me to that freedom to pursue that. Now that you've you've got a fair bit of distance between that time in your life and the decisions that you made around your sport... Mm. And the decisions that your mum and dad made in supporting you around that decision, if you were to look back now, um, how do you think what how do you think it affected them and the decisions that they had to go through in order to, like you're saying, your dad was a pastor at Willembar Church mm. at that time. Um, the pressures that that must have placed on them as a uh, as a, a, a leading an organisation of yeah. around Sabbath observance and yeah. around church and what and all that meant what did, how do you think that where did that put them at the time have you had i think have you you'd have to ask, to <laughs> i honestly think you'd have to ask them i i don't um yeah i'm not sure what their thoughts and 
yeah, what the considerations were or whether it was a hard decision for them or whether they just thought it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I actually, it'd be a great question. I might have to ask them this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, so now we're, we're getting to the sort of um, latter part of your education and at this time you're talking about that was a – you said before you used the term that was a pretty crazy time in my life. Mm. Why, why, do you, why do you think of that as a pretty cra- um, crazy time in your life? Um, I think my, you know, my whole worldview was being rattled and um, I was struggling through what I was, yeah, well, you know, I'd go to church and I'd go through the motions, but I wasn't very much that person. I was always very, yeah, you knew where, you, everyone knew, mm. you know, that I didn't want to be there, yeah. um, that I didn't want to be involved. And that, and there was, you know, there was part of me that sort of did want to be there. Um, but, yeah, I I don't know how to how to explain it. Um but I think over those years, my I sort of got there was a sort of spiral downwards over mm-hmm. time, you know, um, and eventually, yeah, I, I look back on it now and I call it depression. Yeah, <laughs> at, but at yeah, the time, okay. you know, you don't. I don't know if I didn't wrap language around it. I just thought life sucked at yeah. the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they were good th- and and you know i i look at it and think you know um i was so spoiled yeah. um in ter- in many areas you know i had such a loving family and such a great environment and but that's just how i felt at the time i was yeah mm-hmm. pretty low and at that time um in that low time you had the opportunity to go on a school trip mm Tell, yeah. tell us a little bit about, um, I mean, your mum and dad have spoken to me a little bit about their story around you going on that trip. Yeah. T- tell me tell me from your perspective, you know, what was, were you, were you, was that something that, well, I'll just let you, you tell me a little bit about that that school trip. Yeah, so <laughs> to a large degree this is a repressed memory. So <laughs> <laughs> it, wasn't a, it wasn't a great experience for me, that trip, although it was a, it was a, pivotal experience um looking back on it but at the time yeah i just did not want to be there mm. i mean i you know i signed up to go and i was you know, i think that there was definitely the choice made to go mm. but i didn't realize at the time what that would mean and i guess one of the big things was that i wasn't able to play basketball and that, that sound and so my escape which was basketball was taken from me. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like I look, I, I think about this and I just sometimes I just think it's just, it sounds silly. But the reality was, is like that was, yeah, that was my way of escaping, um, I guess, the thoughts and yeah, the emotions. I, I'm, yeah, I'm quite a sensitive person as people may come aware of um, in many aspects. And I consider myself also on, on the other level when it comes to athletics and that sort of thing, a very driven mm, and, and mm. tough person. But on yeah, on an emotional level, I, I am quite sensitive. So, 
yeah, I just, I wasn't able to escape anymore and I had to sit on a bus for hours and hours and hours and think about, yeah. <laughs> you know, life and what was going on. And I, yeah, I would say that I had a bit of a, I'd say it was what you could call it a mental breakdown. I, I Again, you know, back then I didn't, hadn't studied health degree. And yeah. I, hadn't, <laughs> I just, I was just going through it, but yeah. Um, and I called, I remember calling mum and dad and saying, you've got to get me out of here. And obviously that's not possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm in the middle of nowhere, you know, hours and hours and hours away. Um, you know, days drive, hour fly, hours when it comes to flying. Mm. Um, there was no way for them to get me home, but I was like, you need to get me home. I just want to get out of here. And I was, you know, I was upset uh, on the phone and I was, yeah, going through a bit of a, moment <laughs> i remember your your mum and dad we were i think we were spending some time together with them and the walshers at the time oh, when, true. yeah um and they you know they were recounting how you you said to them something like i'm just going to jump out the window of this bus if it, if it, if it keeps taking me further <laughs> yeah, away from it that sounds accurate <laughs> I, I i can't like i say a lot of it is repressed so <laughs> but, this, but this journey is quite i mean the camp itself that you were the trip that you were heading on is really a was from my memory a um, for many teens that went on, it was quite a life-changing yeah. con- and life-confronting experience yeah. as well. Yeah, it was a resilience trip. Yeah, so, so it's so it's while it's taking you outside of your the comfort zone where you wanted to be, which was playing basketball, which was a a method for you to control your emotions and your feelings yeah. at the time. You're combating that situation that you're in mm. as well as being compounded by putting into a resilience type situation yeah. as well. So it's like a double whammy, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess so. Um, yeah, I just, I don't, that, yeah, that trip was not a good one. Um, but it, it meant like looking back on it, obviously it was, it was, yeah. I think whenever you mature or whether, when it, where, whenever you grow, it's after a period of grappling and wrestling and I think there's a um, an aspect of that that I see in Christianity in general. Yeah. You know, a lot of people look at people and they think that person's straying and what they're actually doing often, mm. I believe, is maturing. Yeah. They're grappling with questions mm-hmm. and by grappling with those things they eventually – mature from them and become a stronger and more um yeah robust christian yeah that's i believe and i think um yeah you can't judge you can't judge whether someone is just going through a period of of grappling and wrestling um that's eventually gonna mature them Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um as a christian versus because it from appearances, it often looks like they're they're sliding away. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's a yeah an analogy there. So that trip forced you to confront yourself, I suppose, in that in that scenario. Yeah. And did you come back being somewhat different as a result of that? No, the difference the difference changed is that I was still in a bad way when I got yeah. back. Um, and the difference was. Um, Andrew North was our homeroom teacher at the time um, and he was handing out these CDs and it was Herb Larson um, and his testimony and 
you know, I I felt like I didn't have much to lose because at the time I was just very, very low and I thought I'll just give it a go. Yeah. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah. And so I took on the challenge that Herb Larson presents because I I connected with his story. You know, mm. there was this he, – he was a very ambitious person um, and yet it was just an unsatiable desire. This is the way he puts it, I think, an unsatiable desire to be someone. Yeah. Meaning he just always wanted to be someone but he never quite achieved that even though he was – you know, in many people's eyes, quite a successful person. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was very, at the time, maybe minus the successful person, I was a very driven person. Mm-hmm. And so I had big ambitions, Yeah. Um, which is why, you know, when I look back on basketball, I didn't go as far as I, I at least at the time, I, I thought I was, this was, I was going to play professionally. Yeah. That was my, yeah. that was my goal at the time. And I was very driven towards that. Um, and so I could relate to his story. Um, and I just, yeah, I said, oh, I'll take on his challenge. So tell um, us, what was the challenge? Tell us a little bit about the challenge. I'm, well, I'm familiar with it. There may be a yeah. lot of people who are not. Yeah, yeah. So the challenge that he presented was to read the Bible for an hour a day. Um, and he used to pay people to do this. So he'd be like, what's your, what's your wage? We're like, what do you earn in the salary? And he said, okay, I'll pay the hour. Mm-hmm. So if, if it's, you know, if it, it's, a waste of time for you, You, I'll pay your hourly rate. Um, yeah. So this is how passionate he was about this. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, I'll give it a go. And, yeah, m- my life just changed from, from that point. I just started to realise that some of these, the negative thoughts that I had about God and, um, yeah, the, the false ideas, despite being brought up in a environment where there's, yeah, plenty of truth being spoken about who God is. Yeah, you know, it it just hit me, um, and through through the wrestling and the grappling with these questions, those questions start to started to have some answers, um, and not complete answers. Mm. Um, there's still a mystery, and there's still you know, I still have probably have more questions now than I did back then. <laughs> right. Yeah, but at a different level, um, I but suppose. That's, yeah, it's, they're just different. And so, I, I, yeah, and I I don't know how to explain it other than I just felt better um, and I wanted to – so it became – it went from being a chore that I just did because I was doing this challenge to me wanting and desiring to do mm. that and to the point where – and I'm. This is probably this mean a nutshell in many ways. But the point where I would spend so much time, like I, it would out an hour would become hours. Yeah. And Mum would have to be like, "Lucky, come on, man." <laughs> 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 um. Yeah. Pull me away. So that was yeah. That was yeah. Pretty a pretty pivotal experience in my life. Do you remember how far into the challenge you were before it started to make a change? <laughs> I can't. But you're, you're terrible with times. I, can, I, I cannot. I cannot remember that. But I because some people can say it was on day such and such. Yeah, or I was and reading I, such and such. I can't. Or. But I the, the fact that I I can't makes me. I feel like it was, and this isn't everyone's experience. But yeah. I feel like it was nearly 
from the get go okay. of that challenge for whatever reason. But and when you made the decision, and it might have been a couple on. of days in, yeah. or I don't know. But it wasn't. A, if it was a drawn out period of time and yep. you were sticking with it, I think yep. you'd remember the day mm. because you're so frustrated. <laughs> you're like, this is just garbage, or you know, whatever your feelings are, just become so more in- so, so more intense when you are sticking to this thing that you're just not. It's not getting you're not getting anything out of it yeah. so i i think it was early on okay but i don't know <laughs> so um you finish school um and where do where, where do you go what happens for you after school so i mm, that's yes i was gonna say so then i go to university and i'm like no there's a few things that happened <laughs> prior to that um so i was a i that Year, year 12 mm-hmm. was, yeah, a very, that was the year that I started the challenge or yep. maybe even maybe the year I before. Um, but I, beca- I was school, I was school chaplain, yeah. I mean school Cap- captain. captain. Yeah. And then after that I got, um, Paul asked me to do a, a student chaplain role, yeah. which they yeah. just opened up. Yeah. It had never been a, a role before. And so for the year after high school I was a mm, student chaplain right. yeah. at, yeah. Yeah, TVAC. Yeah, and tell me that it wasn't long. Was it? Was that about the time that you and Emily? Yeah, you and Emily so, met. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and that there's for those that for those there's a don't few know. funny stories <laughs> around this, <laughs> and one of them is the fact that um, when I, you know, I knew of Emily yeah. for ages because you know she grew up in Woolloombar, yeah. and, and yeah. I obviously came back to Woolloombar. I was in her sister's grade. Um, Ruby yeah. in high school um, and Emily was, you know, quite a bit younger than me. So I knew of her but I didn't know her well. Yeah. Anyway, I I used to, I, I started to think, you know, she seems like a really cool girl <laughs> and I started to encourage some of my other mates that were a little younger than me. Yeah. I'm like, why don't you go for Emily? Like <laughs> she seems just top value. Yeah. Like why don't you, yeah. And so it was, you know, Blake North. Yeah. Blake, Blake North and Emily had this little like date in early high school that went for about, I don't know, a day or something. Yeah. <laughs> it did not last. <laughs> and Emily could tell that story and I'm sure Blake has a perspective as well. Um, but, yeah, it was, yeah, Blake North. And so for this, the conversation for Blake would be like, you – what what happened? Like, why'd you let that slip? Like, yeah. that yeah. was the that was the banter that happened with Blake North. Where and then Jaden grows. I used to yeah. always encourage him. And then one day, you know, they were just sort of slow to the taking. And the age thing was a bit of it. Like, the as you grow older, the age thing becomes less and less yeah. of a problem. Yeah. Um, and I started to think. Maybe I should. Why am I telling these <laughs> yeah, other <what>? guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and it was and it was a tricky situation um, because so this was happening in year twelve, and Emily's three and a half years younger than me. Yeah. So, um, and but I was, you know, my, I guess the way I was in those years. Um, and my growth and my maturity as a Christian, yeah. um, Debbie was all for it. So Emily's mum was was on board. She she loved 
Um, and for, at least, at least she, uh, you might. Have, maybe I'm wrong. I'm I'm thinking about this when I'm saying it because I'm like maybe she didn't actually, and she just <laughs> made out to you that yeah. she did. <laughs> but Debbie seemed to be really supportive of this. Yeah. Um, whereas Ruby, not so, not so much at the time. Yeah. I was in Ruby's year. Yeah, she knew my early years. She knew that I was a bit of a yeah, a bit of a rat bag, and you know, yeah, I had. What do you think you're doing? Some relationships and things. Cozying like that. Out and with she, my she, knew, she, yeah, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> she was not for it, and I totally like respect. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. And you know. Years down the track, I've, I've, I think I've won her over <laughs> at least a little bit. No, <laughs> no we're good friends. Yeah, um, yeah. But I was going, I, I was offered the student chaplain role mm-hmm. and I was like, this is just going to look weird. So yeah. I need to just tell Paul, this is what's going on. Um, I just want to make you aware of it because this is a situation. And yeah, if, it, if this... Inter- if this isn't going to allow me to be a student chaplain, well, then I'm sorry kind of thing. That was the conversation because I knew that it was going to be just a it, – it would look – it could look strange yeah. from the yeah. outside looking in. And so Paul was, Paul just encouraged me. He was just like, just make it happen, make it official because then the following year it will be – you know, it was already official. This was something that happened prior yeah. and, yeah, it would all be okay. And – um. So I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds like wise advice. Anyway, I ask Emily and she says no. <laughs> and she says no a few times. And this <laughs> this is not a um, – I'm not trying to boast, but this is the first time that I had I'd been said – like someone had rejected me when yeah. I had asked the question. Yeah. So, And I had, you know, a few girlfriends in the prior years um, – and yeah, so this was just a new experience for me. Someone saying no. <laughs> and anyway, I find that those that are the hardest to get are the ones worth having, yeah. and they yeah. hang around, <laughs> at least in my experience. So yeah, that's that's a bit of the story around Emily and I. Okay, so um, so you've you've done some time there. Was it just that year that you spent as yeah. the school uh, chaplain, student chaplain? Yeah, and what experiences did that enable you to have? Yeah, so I, I I knew that I was called to ministry in terms of like everyone is that believes in Jesus and is a disciple of Jesus is called to ministry in one form um, or another. So in that regard, I knew that you know I was called to ministry, and so I was going to do this for the year. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do after school. I hadn't really thought about it. School was more about yeah basketball and just surviving, getting through. Um, and then yeah, I I guess it was a yeah it was a great year um, and great experiences. But I wasn't sure at the end of the year. I wasn't sure whether full time ministry was for me. And to be honest, I'm still not sure. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so as a result of that, you went to where from from that from that role you moved into ah uh, so. From then, I um, I had really bad grades at high school, so I couldn't get into university with the grades that I had. Just mm-hmm. not because I wasn't capable, but just because I didn't I didn't assert myself in that area of life. So 
I thought I'd go to Avondale because I got a scholarship to Avondale and I thought, oh, I, I mean, I better use it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I only lasted about a day or two down there. <laughs> and then I um, I came back. Emily was obviously back here and I just didn't really know what I was doing down there. Yeah. Um, and then I, I did a PT course and eventually, mm-hmm. cut a long story short, I went through a lot of I'm not sure what to do with my life. I did exercise science and then I masters of physiotherapy. And did you find some satisfaction in that role then? Yeah, so I um, I was a physio, physio for well, I still am a physio um, for three years. Um, and yeah, there were so many uh, aspects of it that I love, and I still love, and I'm still passionate about. Um, but then there's some aspects that I that frustrate me. Mm-hmm. Not so much about physio, but just a well, I guess the politics around physio and yeah that's a long story i don't know whether we have time or anyone would want to listen to it (laughs) did you find did you find that that role um filled some of the needs that you had in your life at the time you it was fulfilling um rewarding yeah in many aspects yeah i had i had some rough like i don't know it's hard when you don't know what you actually want to do and you just you know you think you want to do this particular thing and you you work hard and, you know, I got good grades and I worked very hard in exercise science to be able to transition to physio. Mm. Physio is, um, you know, it was a, I think it was an OP1 or, yeah. a, you know, I don't know what the equivalent ATAR is but a very, very high. So you, for me, I had to transfer from exercise science into this program so I had to get really, really good grades. Yeah. Yeah. And I was very, like, again, I was, I've, I've always been quite driven and so I made it happen. But then, yeah, you work so hard and you think that, you know, something's going to be everything that you ever thought it was going to be. And then you get out into the real world and you start to go, mm, I don't know if this is for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you find when you, were, uh, when you were doing uni, were you still living with mum and dad then? I was living – oh, no, mum and dad had moved. I was – so mum and dad got a call to Townsville when I was – just after high school. So I yep. lived with Emma, my sister, yep. for that year. Yeah. And where was she – what was she doing at that time? She Was she working She at was a teacher at TVAC, TVAC. then. And yeah. only a new teacher then. Yeah. She hadn't long graduated yeah, herself yeah. She at that had just, Yeah, she had just – well, pretty much. I don't know exactly but she she was very early on. Yeah. 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 Um, so you did your physio and then um, – after a couple of years, you started to think, "Well, is this where I want to be spending my?" Yeah, and I think, I think I will go into a little bit. I think it needs a somewhat of an explanation. So I, I, I love physio. I love you know helping people with injuries. Yeah. What I don't love about the system that is created um, is that incentive. Well, it's incentivized to create money. At mm, all costs. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so you think, well, at least for me, I thought that I was getting into the industry to help people and you still you soon realise that in the private practice world, they're forced, first and foremost a business that's yeah. trying to make money. Yeah. And so just in certain aspects, um, I mean, in my first job coming out of high school, I had a boss that I just, we have 
it was it was never gonna work with us and to be honest with a lot of people um and i ended up having to go through mediation with him mm-hmm. um we, so he just got bought out by a big company and then he um yeah i went through mediation with him because of an incident that happened when he over mentor him mentoring me um and no, I won't go into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but and then subsequently, anyway, down the track, he's you know had less of a role in that um, company. Yeah, I'm trying to keep it completely yeah. anonymous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because of these incidents that yeah. have been reoccurring um, with him and other employees. Yeah. Um, so that wasn't wasn't a great first experience. Um, it was a company that most people wanted to work with if mm-hmm. they wanted to go down the private practice route. Right. So um, I had landed a position that was, you know, sought after um, and it just didn't live up to it um, because of that. And then the the f- I, I moved into a different role in private practice. Yeah. So private practice just in general is working with musculoskeletal injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, so any joint injuries or back injuries. The main main is back and neck, um, yeah, yeah. but any sort of sporting injury that's the that's the area um, of physiotherapy. And I moved into a different job, and the other this job, you know, the boss was a lot more supportive, mm-hmm. but there was just this pressure to to make money at all costs. To well, I feel bad saying that, but it just seemed like yeah, we would take advantage of people in a vulnerable situation. Yeah. Because we knew we could make money out of them. Well, at least that was what was. Tr- so we would we would be told to see people twice a week for the first couple of weeks, um, regardless of the condition or. And it just didn't fit with the research or the evidence base, and yeah. we're evidence based practitioners, and but we could take advantage of the person because they're vulnerable, they're suffering, they're over it, they're at their wits end and I'm in a position of power yeah. and I can abuse my power to make money and I can get you coming in because you don't know what's going on. Mm. I can get you coming in, you know, eight times over four weeks yeah. or I could get you coming in once and have the same result but mm. less money. Mm. And so there was this real drive to um, – and this isn't all physios um, and it isn't all it, – it happens even in the surgical realm. Mm. Um, these surgeries that shouldn't happen yep. because money. <laughs> and so I guess I just got a little bit frustrated about the whole system. Um, yeah, I, that's the short answer, as short as I could make it. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. But there is a longer answer. Um, and so part of that leads you to start thinking, well, where what – if I'm if this is not where I see myself long term, where do I see myself? Yeah, yeah. And so I honestly I yeah, I mean I don't really know where that is. I don't have this like strong calling to full time ministry. Yeah. Um, which sounds bizarre because you're sitting there knowing that I'm studying <laughs> theology, I'm <laughs> working at the church twenty hours a week. Um taking a pay cart <laughs> and it's like, well, if you don't have a calling, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, but I just don't have this strong like you must do full-time ministry. Yeah. Um, like I said earlier on, I, I think everyone's called to ministry mm. that um, is a Christian. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but what that looks like is yeah different for everyone. Plus, I suppose we also have to throw into the mix there that you actually convinced Emily to marry you. Yeah, <laughs> we forgot, we skipped right over yeah, that we, hole. Yeah, yeah. I'll blame that on you so that I don't have to take that. So, so <laughs> it's it's always interesting to find out. Um, to find out how did someone convince someone else to spend the rest of their life with them? Was that a, was that a? I don't think like it sounds like I was desperate, and uh, <laughs> no, I just no. <laughs> and maybe that's a bit of truth. <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, eventually she came around to the idea, <laughs> um, and yeah, so we've been married for three years now, coming on four. Hope I, I see I'm bad with dates, so I'm freaking out. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah. So yeah, don't know what else to say. <laughs> so yeah, so so you guys have been married now for a number it was just we'll just say a number of years. Yeah. We'll leave yeah. it at a yeah, number of yeah, years. Yeah, that's yeah. an easy number way to say. I've been married for a number of years now. And um and so um you've made this decision to pursue a career in ministry. Mm. Surely that puts um, um, maybe a, I would I would often use the term that that well, that's you're just throwing a spanner in the works here because maybe yeah maybe prior to that decision we t- we tend to sort of look to the future and go oh well you know um, got a girlfriend tick got a long li- got a life partner tick uh, time to st- start saving up for property yeah get try to get yeah. on that bandwagon we know that's difficult at the moment with so many people of your age and your working mm. time. Um, but now you go, well, hang on a minute. I think I'm, I think I'm being called to throw some of that, yeah. that plans to the wind and go, I want to change it. I'm going to go in a change of direction. So did, did that create – tell me about the – I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you and Emily have had some discussions because Emily is in the uh, medical sphere as yeah. well. So um, tell us a little bit about – your journey into making that decision? Yeah, well, um, I'm still <laughs> – give me like five years and then I reckon <laughs> I'd answer this question well. But when you're in the thick of it, yeah, yeah, you're not – I don't have this all figured out yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a bit of <laughs> – it's a bit of an inter- interesting one. Because, um, yeah, I, I sort of struggle with this idea of being called to it. <laughs> um, and I don't know whether that's just my – there's two th- – this is a tangent. I know it's a tangent but I think it needs – and then you can ask your question again because I would have <laughs> forgotten it. Um, but I have two two hang-ups that I've had for a long period of time because of my whole um, cam and suffering is, yeah, that whole situation. Mm. Uh, prayer, struggle yeah. with prayer. Yeah. Um, well, when it comes to asking or requesting something, I just struggle with it because I just haven't had these experiences, these that people speak of, of you know, these miraculous answers to prayer. Yeah. And so I do. I grapple with that. And 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 the way the way that I've grappled with that um, earlier on was to say that God is love, and love requires freedom. And so because because of the freedom that we have. Um, God doesn't have control in every single area mm. and so it's I I think I'm potentially just gone too far that way um to the point where I just go what what um maybe just 
what power does he have in mm-hmm. my life now? Yeah. Right now. And so I do struggle with prayer a little bit um, and I struggle with this idea of a calling. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is um, and I still haven't figured it all out. Um, but I just don't, yeah, I don't know what that means. Like does that mean that, you know, I have a gut feeling that I should do a particular thing? So was I called to physio? Or was that me just following my own own desires? Or do you know what I mean? So I, I, I think being in this situation where I, I've gone through and I've done physio and I've been a physio for three years and now I'm not sure that I want to do that. Yeah. It's hard to go God is – it's hard for me to say that this is it. You yeah. know, this yeah. is exactly what I'm here on this earth to do. Yeah. Um, when it comes to full-time ministry. Now, mm-hmm. ministry in general, as I've mentioned, it's – like that's different. I feel like I'm called to that. So what led you to to go, I'm going to leave what could be a successful career? Um, yeah. what, what, was there some point where you came, you were driving home from work one day and you say, I need to do something different. I, I'm, I'm choosing to do something different. Yeah. There's a number of things um, but one of the things is just that, that the ethical yeah. dilemma that I had in my mind and yeah. I never sort of bought into that and so I was a you know you judged as a physio as to how many people you see and yeah. how often you see them and how even though that's not what a good physio means mm. a full list doesn't always mean a good physio um, but you judged on that and so I wasn't really um, I didn't really buy into the like I I set a program that I thought was right for that person. Yeah. Not taking advantage of the power mm-hmm. difference. And and I would also put myself in their shoes and go, oh, they only need one or two mm. visits over yeah. eight weeks. And so, you know, it's it starts to become a bit of a tension point. Yeah. Between you and your boss because not just you internally. You operate differently. Mm. Um because of this ethical framework that you have mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah. And so I just knew that I had to do something different and I couldn't keep doing that particular job at least in, at that particular place and and I just did – I wasn't sure whether physio was for me. Um, I was struggling with my own injury, um, an issue that I had that I was struggling to get a resolution for. Um, which was playing on me. You know, it's hard when you're in pain to help someone else that's coming in yeah. in pain. Yeah. Um, and it just wasn't what I expected it to be. I, you know, you expect to go in and fix everyone and help everyone. And the reality is that 70% of your patients or 60% of your patients don't get better and it's not because you're not a good physio. They've yeah. seen countless of health professionals and they just don't get the answer that they're looking for. And so me, I guess, struggling with the ethical thing, having my own issue that I'm trying to work out and the previous job going poorly yeah. and still the psychological trauma, I guess you could say, over that situation, mm-hmm. I just didn't feel like physio was for me. And so – and I – explored different options so I I started my own business like doing Mm -hmm. online consultations um 
which I didn't do much of yeah. <laughs> um, because during that time I was just not motivated. And I and I and during this time I saw a psychologist who was a Christian psychologist and, yeah, she really helped me to, I guess, yeah, go through this little period that I was going through where I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I, during that, I started to think, hmm, maybe I should go back to ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just don't know. I don't know what you call that. But yeah. that's, <laughs> if you call that a calling, <laughs> then go for it. <laughs> um, and I still, like still to this day, I have moments where I'm, I'm doing a theology degree and I'm like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know if this is for me. Well, that was um, actually leading to my the question I was going to ask, and I was going to say, "Well, why theology? If you if it's not something that is." And I ask myself the same <laughs> questions <laughs> because it's not an easy course in itself. In an, in and of itself, it's not an easy course. I mean, uh, any any um, graduate level study is difficult, and mm-hmm. but I think there and there are some that are more difficult than others. Yeah. Um, but I would I'm assuming that. Theology is the sort of course that you have to have a real desire to yeah. or interest in it because yeah, you just, you would, you just I, wouldn't stick it out. I have an interest. Like so three of the subjects that I sat this semester I really enjoyed. Like yeah. I enjoyed reading. I, as a, and throughout my whole as a physio and even prior to that, like ever since, ever since the sort of Northern Territory trip yeah. that, and the subsequent challenge and me reading the Bible, I – it has always been a hobby that stayed with, like, mm-hmm. hobby, is that the right word? I don't know. It, it had always been a, it all had always stayed with me that I read this kind of material because mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. So yeah. I'm doing three of the, well, at least three of the four courses I actually really enjoyed this, mm. this semester. Yeah, yeah. Like I enjoy studying it, I enjoy reading about it. Um, the challenge for me comes in the do I want to do this full-time ministry. Yeah. It's not that I don't, this isn't where my interests lie, this isn't a passion of mine and the passion is definitely there. Yeah. I love what I learn minus Greek and that's the other subject. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I Does see anyone that, really enjoy studying the, doing those Greek courses? Well, I mean I, I, see, the, I see the usefulness of yeah. it but I yeah. can use Logos which is this software to mm. do something for me, I don't have to yeah. learn the language, so yeah, there's a bit yeah. of like. Anyway, um, so yeah, I'm passionate about it. It my the barrier for me is: do I really want to be in full time ministry? And if you don't, like, uh, yeah, what is a what is a calling? I don't know. Is like, there a- is God saying if it is? <laughs> yeah, I d- I don't know whether I'm called to ministry. I'll say that. Okay, is but there- whether that's theology pastoral ministry I'm is there sure. a particular uh, style or arm or direction within ministry that does interest you that does sort of captivate you yeah I yeah I there is I don't know how to answer that particularly well but um, I like the area of theodicy of why if God is good why is there suffering that's mm-hmm. basically. And it's the question that most people ask at some stage in their life. Um, and so I love 
talking about, and I think I did a really, really poor effort of um, explaining that when I was going through the Cameron story. I got to that point and I, um, that didn't come out the way that it should. But if you want to talk to me about it, that's my area. That's okay. the area that I love. So I suppose what I was, what I was really meaning for, if you, were, if you do continue in, into full-time ministry, mm. is there a particular um, part of ministry that you want, you'd like to focus on? I mean some people like to focus on uh, family ministries. Some, t- some people like uh, children's ministries. Some people like is there something within in minis- full-time ministry that goes, if, I was, if I'm doing this, I'm going to put my effort into this, this part of it? No, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not really. Okay. That's the that's the honest answer. No, I haven't really thought about it. I'm just yeah, taking it day by day. And I like one of the things that I hate is um, about it. This is this is me being honest and <laughs> authentic. Is I don't like moving. I don't want to okay. move. I and Emily certainly doesn't want to move either. Yeah. Um, and I struggled moving when I was growing up. I don't want to do that again. And part of ministry, at least um, what it used to be, is that you were called there so you better go or you're not doing what God is telling you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And just I, yeah, I I don't, yeah, I, I, I'm still sort of wrestling with that idea and that concept. I, I don't really want to move around. Okay. Um, and that's most people practically minded <laughs> would look at it and go, well, that's the job, mate. Like, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, I've, and I fully understand that. And I, the question is, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. I just feel like I should have done this this year, so I'm doing it and we'll see what happens. Um, there'll be a lot of people that will listen to this and go, oh, didn't know any of that. <laughs> yeah. And so how are you finding you're doing some – you mentioned before that you're doing 20 hours of work for the church. Yeah. And what does that involve? You, what does that involve you doing? Yeah, so I'm the youth and young adults leader um, at church, which involves anything <laughs> in regards to those – like that, that demographic. But um, I run a Friday night program. Uh, I run Sabbath schools just – yeah, mentoring different mm-hmm. young people, creating teams, leading teams to, um, yeah, to do ministry. It's a lot of it's a lot about working with people and um, empowering people, and that's the, at least the way that I'm fulfilling that role. And then this podcast is a little bit of a side <laughs> side thing of that. <laughs> and how how do you find? Um Working in that space, yeah, I really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, there's obviously challenges, um, as they are with, yeah, anything. Um, I think I challenge. Yeah, don't know whether the challenges are that I just don't know whether. Sometimes they sort of struggle with this idea of like, am I? worthy to be in this role am i like yeah and i think i am and i think i am because jesus um, what he's done for me yeah says that i am Mm -hmm. um but if you want a perfect leader or if you want a perfect um yeah i'm not that 
Um, but if you want someone that's authentic and real and will grapple and wrestle with questions and get alongside youth and young adults that are doing the same things, then yeah. I yeah. I think I I do have I feel like I d- am gifted in the area in that area of mentoring and I guess delving into scripture and wrestling with questions and from a young youth and young adults perspective. Right. Okay. And what are, what are the uh, some of the rewards that you've seen so far? I know it's been what six months or so, five months now. You've been in this role. Have you been able to identify any things where you go, yeah, that that was that was great. I got to have this impact in this situation, or I witnessed a, a light bulb moment for someone or um yeah there's been i think there's been little things um going to surf camp and and sharing a bit of my testimony um in a sermon and the idea of grappling with the idea of um if god is good why is there suffering in the world and just yeah being able to the responses that i got from that um yeah, it was inspiring, you know, it was encouraging. Um, there's little things, but it's cha- like the, it's challenging um, to, I don't know, I, I'm just a very driven person and I look at the Sabbath schools and I look at, you know, the lack of attendance to certain things and I just sort of I go, What's, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> <laughs> and... Yeah, so I, I'm probably, and you've already probably noticed this, but I'm I'm my own hardest critic, mm. and so there's a lot of areas where I'm like, mm. I'd love to just celebrate all the wins, but I I see more challenges than wins, at least in the last yeah while. Now I'm going to ask you a tough question. It's a question that we've. We have contemplated in the in the lead up to the to doing these podcasts, and one of the questions you asked me um, that we should ask was, if you were the boss of this organisation, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good if question. you were the boss of this organisation, and, and, and when I, um, it doesn't, you can choose to what that organ, I think what organisation encompasses in in this, in, yeah. What would you like to see happen or what would you do differently? Yeah, I've spoken to a few people around this. Um, so some people have heard my thoughts on this. Um, there's a few things that that frustrate me um, in this organisation. That's just honest. Mm. Um, one of them... One of them that's been happening lately is this idea of... Um, evangelism and and it's not that so just mm. bear with me but the idea of evangelism and and doing um evangelism and the way that we do that um really frustrates me so there's like there's a lot of people um and this isn't pointing fingers i'm critical to people that are like me because <laughs> i feel like um i can understand and relate um there's a lot of people that have no friends outside the Seventh Adventist Church, mm-hmm. and then they want to do evangelism. So they and they want to go and like knock on their door and sell them a book. And it's like, I just I I find that just disconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and there's a few of and there's a few pet peeves that I have um, around this, and one of them's, and these are just I don't know. Sometimes I think maybe I'm just on a soapbox and it's ridiculous, but one of them is like winning souls. Um, the, uh, this idea of soul winning or um, contacts. You know, I've got contacts. Like to me, like these are my friends. Yeah. Like. Do you know what I mean? I have friends that aren't in this church. They are human beings. They're not these like detached souls. Mm-hmm. Um, and our theology doesn't even support the – I don't think this terminology anyway. They're, they are human beings. They're not contacts. They're real people mm-hmm. with real – you know, they're, they're so much like you and I. And we sort of – Whittle them down to contacts and souls, and we a sort of in a dress book. we sort of dehumanize them. Yeah, um, and and I and this is this is a touchy one because Jesus, you know, you know, Jesus talks about you know the sowing and the reaping and you know the whole cycle of evangelism. Um, and I I struggle, I don't struggle with the cycle. You know, he was talking to a culture. It was an agricultural yes. culture. Yep. They understood that language and so he spoke their language. If you tell my mates that they're seeds and that they're tares and that yep. they're, you know, wheat and there's this cycle, it's again for them it it's seen and to me, knowing them really well, it seems just dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. Um and it's like they're these yeah, they're less human. Or they're because we're we're talking about them in these languages that are less human, <laughs> like yeah. like a yeah, and uh, that's that's one pet peeve of mine. I've got many though, so um, <laughs> and I've got lots of positives, and that's why I'm here, um, and that's why I'm still part of the system. Yeah, but there are things that do sort of frustrate me. Um, yeah, and that that's one particular one. There's probably others. So what I would do <laughs> to, quote, to answer your question, so that's what, what I wouldn't do <laughs> is um, use that language. But what I would do is like we're called, I believe we're called to be a light on the hill. We're not megaphones. We're not, you know, we are supposed to, and, and you know, Jesus uses an analogy of us being salt. Yeah. If you're not out, if you don't have friends, that are outside of our church, how can you bring light to those places? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I and I just don't think you can do that by these detached ways of doing evangelism that we have. So I guess it would be to inspire people to just be a part of their community and, you know, bring and, – and it's not, like I said, not a megaphone. You're not screaming mm-hmm. at people mm-hmm. and telling them – you know, and we've all seen the really, really bad examples of this. And thankfully our church isn't, uh, we don't really do that, which yeah. is great. Um, but we, yeah, we're not, we're not megaphones. We, but we, if, if they are attracted to the way that we do life and the way that they, we, they see us love one another, but also them, they're going to want to ask questions about what makes you tick and why, why is that the case? And I just think that that is a far better way of doing evangelism um, than focusing on some of these, yeah, these other ideas that I don't find are very effective. So to round out our time here this afternoon, 
If you had to encapsulate yourself in a nutshell, in just a couple of sentences, um, who you are, what you're, what you're grappling with, what you're, um, who you see yourself becoming, how would you, how would you round yourself out in that? At, at the place that you're at now, how would you summarize who you are and what you're about at, at this period in your life? A hard question. No, I'm going to throw that one back at you when, when you're on the hot seat. Um, I'm just, I guess I'm just someone like everyone else. I think there's so much about us that is that are, are similar. Like all of humanity is similar. We're just trying to work out what the purpose of life is, what we're here for and yeah, we're journeying through life and the suffering that's involved um, and the issues that are involved throughout that. And so I'm just someone that's, I would like to think that I'm someone that's authentic and you, what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be on a pedestal that some people, because you're a leader of a youth and young adults, mm-hmm. want to put you there. I, I don't want to. I'm. I, I'm just like them. Um, I'm just like everyone else, struggling and wrestling with big questions about life and the purpose of life. And yeah, I'm just going through that um, process, and I'm growing throughout that process. Um, and yeah, I think that that would be one way that I would describe myself. I think there's many ways you can do it, um, but that would be definitely one way. I'd describe myself. Excellent. Thanks for your time this afternoon, Lockie. Thanks.